Good morning, and let me wish you a very happy Thanksgiving as we approach that very special day this week, my favorite holiday of the year, year for sure. And as we move into this holiday season, we're going to begin seeing something that we're all used to seeing this time of year, and that is the bell ringers from the Salvation Army. And I hope you don't just walk by those folks um, when you see them out there. This is a tremendous ministry, and for years and years, Taylor's First Baptist Church has been since staffing, I guess for lack of a better word, the bell at the Taylor's Walmart. And as of today, those slots for ringing bells is about 50% full. So we need as many folks who have signed up to still sign up to help ring that bell. I was excited this week to hear my daughter say, you know, me and some of my friends, she's 17 years old, signed up to ring the bell at, at uh, Walmart. And I thought, that's great. Love to see these, these kids doing it. But all of us need to be involved in that ministry. So if you haven't thought about it, think about it, pray about it. And then following the service today, if you'll make your way out to the Connection Center, there'll be some folks out there that can get you signed up for a time slot. And uh, that will be a great thing to do during this holiday season. I appreciate those who have been so faithfully involved in this ministry. I want to put a couple of uh, pictures up on uh, the screen this morning as we get started. I want to show you something. Um, I think we're going to put them up. Maybe. Yes, no. Ah, there they are. All right, there's one of them. Uh, how about the next one? All right. Both of these pictures represent a disaster for the United States Olympic team in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Uh, for really most of modern Olympic history, the United States had dominated the 4 by 100 meter relay. They had won year after year after year. But in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, both the men's and the women's 4 by 100 relay teams were disqualified because, as you saw in the picture, they dropped the baton. Both teams had world-class runners. Both teams were impeccably coached. Both teams had high expectations of winning a gold medal, but because they flubbed this most strategic part of the race, the handoff, the pass, the exchange of the baton from one runner to the next, because they messed that part up, they went home empty-handed from the Olympics. You know, the Christian life is often described as a race, but it is not just an individual race. In many ways, it is very much like a relay. And part of our task, yours and mine, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to pass our faith along to others. And I need to tell you this morning, church, if we flub that handoff, if we fail to successfully transfer the baton, 
if we do not purposefully and proactively pass this faith along, then we fail at a major part of our Christian responsibility and calling. For the past few months, we have been looking together at the life and the times of the Old Testament prophet Elijah, and we've been zeroing in on the power of a life of obedience. God did some incredible things through Elijah's life, and he was able to do it because Elijah was committed to obedience, not partial obedience, not sometimes obedience, not convenient obedience, but total obedience, unreserved, unrestrained, unqualified, unswerving, unrelenting obedience to God. And because Elijah was committed to obedience, as we have seen, he was a man of conviction, a man of principle, a man of great moral and spiritual courage. He was the kind of man we need a whole lot more of in our own generation today. We saw him in the palace of King Ahab, the most evil, wicked king to ever sit on the throne of Israel. And he looked King Ahab in the eye and he said, King, because of your wickedness and the wickedness of this nation, there will be neither dew nor rain in the land again until I say so. And scripture says Elijah prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain for three and a half years. We saw him on Mount Carmel where he confronted the prophets of Baal and then called down fire from heaven to prove that there was no other God but Jehovah God, the God of Israel. He was a man who had the spiritual vim, vigor, and vitality that enabled him, Scripture says, when the Spirit of the Lord came on him to outrun a horse and chariot the distance of a marathon. He was an amazing man. But he had his struggles too. And we saw that last week when we saw that, that, uh, that Elijah became discouraged and defeated. He wasn't a superman. He was a man. But because he was a man who was committed to obedience, he was greatly used of God to bring renewal to his nation and bring revival to a generation like all leaders, however, Elijah's ministry came to an end. His influence on the nation came to an end. His role as a spiritual leader came to an end. But with that ending, God was getting his people ready for a new beginning. And that is what I want us to look at this morning. This morning we're going to begin looking at this transfer of leadership. This transfer of the prophetic ministry from Elijah to a man by the name of Elisha. Elijah's ministry came to an end, but Elisha is going to take up that mantle of leadership. And he's really now, from this point forward, going to become the guiding force that shepherds the nation of Israel into the next chapter of its history. And as I thought about that, I realized, you know, this is a good word for us. This is a needed word for us as we anticipate the leadership of a new pastor. But it's also a word for every single one of us as followers of Jesus Christ because you need to know that the most important leaders 
in this generation today are every one of you. Do you understand this morning that the future of this church and the spiritual future of our communities, our nation, and the nations rest upon the degree to which every single one of you is willing to take up the mantle of leadership and embrace the calling God has given you to pass this faith along. I hope you realize this morning, my friends, that our nation stands today only one generation removed from absolute paganism. And the only reason we are not there yet is because those who have come before us were faithful to pass this faith along. Now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. And so it is to this great end and this great calling that I want us to turn our attention to. And in order to do that, we're going to spend the next few weeks in 1 Kings chapter 19 and in 2 Kings chapter 2. This morning, we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. But before we look at that, remember the background. We saw this last week in verses 15 and 16 of 1 Kings chapter 19. God came to Elijah and he said, Elijah, your time of influence and impact will soon be over. There's someone else now. I've chosen to step into this role and that someone is Elisha. And you need to go anoint him as prophet and tell him that he's going to become the next leader, spiritual leader for this nation. So this is a time of change, it is a time of transition, it is a time of challenge, and God is absolutely about to rock the world of this man, Elisha. But here's the thing you need to understand. What God is wanting to do in Elisha's life is exactly what he's wanting to do in your life and in my life. This is not ancient history. This is contemporary reality. This is what God wants to do today. If you and I will dare to partner with him and pass this faith along. So here's the first lesson, the only one we're going to look at today. If I am going to be able to pass this faith along, there's several things involved, but here's the first. There is a priority that must be fixed in my life. There is a priority that must be fixed in my life. Now, church, I've thought about this an awful lot. And I don't know really any good way to say this except to just say it. So here it is. If you really want to know God, if you really want to walk with God, if you want to be used of God, if you want to see God at work in your life, if you want to get off the spiritual sidelines and into the game and become all...
become and experience all that God has for you to experience in your own life, in your church, and in the world, then you have got to determine that pursuing God is no longer going to be a peripheral issue for you. It is going to become your priority. That is what happened in the life of Elisha. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So, Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, church, there's something you've got to understand here about early Middle Eastern culture. Because if you don't understand this, you won't understand really what's happening here. In the ancient world of Elijah and Elisha's day, when someone took off his cloak and put it around you, it was a symbolic act indicating a transfer of power and authority. You see, Elijah didn't give Elisha his coat because he thought Elisha was cold. (laughs) This wasn't a compassionate act. It was a cataclysmic act, altering act. So we need to understand that, and we really need to get this picture in our minds. Here is Elisha. Minding his own business, engaged in the legitimate act of earning a living. He is plowing a field. So he is evidently a farmer. He's quite possibly a wealthy man because the text says he had 12 pair of oxen. That meant he had a lot of land. So here he is going going about his daily routine, not bothering anybody. When Elijah comes up to him, puts his cloak around him, and by doing so says this, Elisha, you've got to leave all of this. My ministry's coming to an end. God's looking for someone else to carry on the work. He's told me that someone is you. I know you're busy doing something else, but what God wants to do in your life and with your life must now become your priority. Doesn't matter what else you're doing. Doesn't matter what else you're thinking. God's priority must now become your priority, and that priority must become immovably fixed, settled in your life. Now, I've got to ask you something. What if tomorrow morning I came into your home or walked into your place of business or maybe came into your school and I took off my jacket, put it around your shoulders and said to you, hey, I've got a message for you from God. Go tell the boss you're quitting. Go tell your spouse the family is moving. In fact, Get ready for everything in your life to change because God is calling you to something else and he expects that something else to become your priority. How would you react to that? 
I mean, that's exactly what Elisha was having to deal with. How would you deal with it? Some of you would probably laugh it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Alan, you're a funny guy. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Others of you might be incredulous. You're crazy, preacher. I can't do that. Some of you might ignore me. Others of you might get angry. Some might just pretend you didn't hear me at all. What did Elisha do? Well, he didn't do any of those things. If you look at verse 20, you'll read this. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Let me read that again. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Now, I need to share a truth with you here this morning, all right? Do you think you can handle what I, this, this, this truth that I'm about to tell you? I, I'll tell you up front, you're not going to like it. You're not going to like it. In fact, I'll make a wager this morning if I can do that. I bet if some of you knew ahead of time that I was going to say what I'm about to say right now, some of you wouldn't have even come this morning. That's what I think. But it's too late now, you're here. So here it is. Here's the truth. If I'm going to be part of passing this faith along, it means that I'm going to have to be willing to kiss some things goodbye. And that's not easy to do. It's not easy to kiss father and mother goodbye. It's not easy to kiss the farm goodbye. It's not easy to kiss the comfort and the security of your own little world and your own plans and your own ideas of what you want your life to be all about. But listen to me, church. Being a disciple of Christ, being an instrument of God, Becoming another link in the chain of passing the faith along means you must be willing to kiss some things goodbye when you know that God is calling you to something else. Some of us need to kiss some habits goodbye because they're keeping God from using us. Some of us need to kiss some people goodbye because they're holding us back. Some of us need to kiss some schedules goodbye because they're not leaving us any time for the work of the kingdom. Some of us need to kiss some rotten attitudes goodbye because they do not reflect the heart and the mind and the priorities of Jesus Christ. Listen, if we're honest this morning, every one of us has some things that we need to kiss goodbye. And God is saying to you this morning right now, this is your next step. This is where I want to take you. This is where I want to use you. This is what I want to do in your life. But this thing keeps holding you back. Church, it, it breaks my heart to say it. 
but we need to hear it. Some of us will never be greatly used of God. We will never experience God's best for our lives. We will never walk in the miraculous. We will never see all the things God wanted us to see, and we will never be part of all the things God wanted us to be part of because we're not willing to kiss anything goodbye. We're holding on to things for dear life. We're holding on to our ambitions. We're holding on to our money. We're holding on to those relationships. We're holding on to our wants and our expectations and our preferences. And we won't even consider giving those things up for the sake of Christ and his greater purposes in the world. Please hear me this morning. If you're going to move with God, if God's going to be able to take your life and use it to make the kind of difference that is so desperately needs to be made in our world today, if you want to become an Elijah and an Elisha kind of person and become a link in God's chain and be part of passing this faith along, you have got to determine, my friend, that you're going to give that priority. And that means being willing to kiss some things goodbye, even good things, if they do not fit into what God wants to do in and with your life. So look at what happens next with Elisha. Verse 21, Elisha says to Elijah, okay, let me go back and kiss mom and dad goodbye. And Elijah says, go back. What, what have I done to you? Which means, what am I doing to stop you? I'm not stopping you. I agree. This is what you need to do. Now watch this, verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. And he gave it to the people. In other words, Elisha took those things that had been his life, that had been his livelihood, and he sacrifices them. He gives all that back to the Lord. And then it says, he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Let me ask you a question. Would you say his priority has been fixed? I would. I would say his priority has been fixed. So let me let you in on a secret at this point, okay? Here, here's the secret. There is something decidedly New Testament about what we see Elisha doing here. There is something decidedly New Testament about what we see Elisha doing here. And I need to say that because there's some folks, there's some Christians who read a passage like this and they say, well, that was a special calling for Elisha. I mean, he was an Old Testament prophet. He was an exception. That was another time. That was another situation. This doesn't apply to me. Well, just in case you're one of those folk who think this doesn't apply to you, I am getting ready to burst your bubble wide open. I want you to look at what Jesus had to say in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Let's look at verse 23 first. Jesus said to them all, 
If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, church, there's a lot, a lot of stuff here, and we don't have time to go into all of it, but there are three things that Jesus says to you and to me as, new, as his New Testament people that I want to look at very quickly. Number one, Jesus says that if I'm going to follow him, I must be willing to deny myself. Now, question, what does it mean to deny myself? Well, that's very simple, really. To deny myself means that I say no to myself. It means that I say no to things that I want or things that I might think I want. I, I don't deny myself things I don't want. For example, I do not have to deny myself liver and onions. It is very easy for me to say no to that. I don't like it. I don't want it. And listen very carefully, I don't want you to give it to me. All right? Please don't do that. Saying no, denying myself liver and onions, it, it, I mean, saying no to it is very easy. So I'm not denying myself. You, are you with me? I'm, I'm not denying myself when I say no to that. Now, chocolate cake? <laughs> Oh, that's a little bit different story. That's a little bit different story. When I say no to chocolate cake, I am denying myself because that's something I want. That's something I like. So saying no to that takes a little bit of willpower. It takes some sacrifice. It takes discipline. It means I am not going to do something I really want to do because, hey, I like chocolate cake. Well, Jesus said, if you really want me, then sometimes it means you're going to have to say no to you. <laughs> you're going to have to deny yourself something you want or something you think you want in order to do what I want. And that's what Elisha did. He said no to the farm. He said no to his livelihood. He said no to his security. He said no to the familiar and the comfortable so he could say yes to the greater thing that God wanted to do in his life. It became his priority. And that is what God is calling you to do. That is exactly what God is calling me to do if we're serious about being Elijah and Elisha kind of folks. If we're serious about not fumbling our task to pass this faith along. So Jesus said, number one, I've got to be willing to deny myself. Number two, he said, I've got to be willing to take up my cross daily. So what does that mean? What does it mean to take up my cross? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. All right? it, it doesn't mean struggling with an illness. It, it doesn't mean struggling with a weakness or a problem or having some great disappointment or hurt in my life. I've heard people say before, and, and I know what they're trying to say, but I've heard people say uh, about those kinds of things, well, this is just my cross to carry. 
This is just my cross to bear. Well, you need to understand that is not historically or theologically correct. Now, you can call those things hardships. You can call them struggles. You can call them trials. You can call them challenges. You can call them a lot of things, but you cannot call them your cross. Because in Jesus' day, when someone took up a cross, it meant one thing, and it meant one thing only. It meant you were going to die. Because a cross was an instrument of death. So when Jesus tells me that I must take up my cross, what he means is that anything, anything that would come between me and what he wants to do in my life and with my life must be put to death. It must be crucified. And that goes beyond just saying no to things that I want or think I want. Taking up my cross actually means saying yes to things I don't want or things I don't think I want. You see, when Jesus took up his cross, it wasn't because he wanted to in the sense that we think about wanting to do something. I don't think Jesus wanted to die. As a human being, dying wasn't something he looked forward to. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as you remember, he prayed, Father, if if it is possible, would you take this cup from me? God, if there's any other way, let me take another way. Jesus didn't feel like being beaten. He didn't feel like being spit on. He didn't feel like being flogged. He didn't feel like having spikes driven through his hands and his feet, being hung on a rough wooden cross while splinters gouged into his back and his joints were pulled apart and he couldn't breathe and his blood ran out on the ground. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us that Jesus endured the cross. He didn't enjoy it, but he endured it. He didn't feel like going through what he had to go through, but the cross church had nothing to do with Jesus' feelings. It had totally to do with his commitment to the will of God for his life. Father, if there's any other way, I don't feel like this. If there's any other way, nevertheless, what? Not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. Jesus was committed to the will of his heavenly father more than anything else, more than his feelings, more than his convenience, more than his comfort, more even than his own life. And so was Elisha. And so must you be. And so must I be if we're serious about being Elijah and Elisha kind of people and passing this faith along. And it is only When I am willing to deny myself, say no to things I want or think I want in order that I might say yes to God, it is not until I take up my cross till I am willing to say yes to things I may not want or think I don't want for the sake of what God wants. Then Jesus says I can follow him. So what does it really mean to follow Jesus? You know, we talk about following Jesus all the time, but what does it really mean for me to follow him? Well, here's what it means. You can fill in the blanks here. 
Following Jesus means that I completely surrender to the will and the ways of Jesus. That's it. I, I, I completely surrender to the will and the ways of Jesus. Whatever Jesus wants me to do, I do. However Jesus lived his life, that's how I want to live my life. He becomes my example, my model in everything. I surrender completely to the will and the ways of Jesus. That's what it means to follow him. It doesn't mean coming to church. It doesn't mean having my devotional time. It doesn't mean being a, a nice person, helping other people. That, that happens, but that only happens because I have completely surrendered to his will and to his ways. That's what it means to follow him, and that's what Jesus meant here in Luke 9, 24. Look at it, where he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is he talking about? He's talking about passing the faith along. He's talking about making a difference. And the only way you can do that is to learn this final truth. The only way for me to really hold on to life, get the most out of life, experience real life, is to let go of it for Jesus' sake. That's what he said. Whoever loses his life because of me, for my sake, for my kingdom, for my purposes, whoever is willing to say no to things they want, yes to things they may not want, and who surrenders to my will and to my ways, that person will find real life. That person will experience what life is all about. Let me say it again. I said it once. Today we stand in an age where we are only one generation removed from absolute paganism. And it is our responsibility, if we're going to run this race well, to pass this faith along to those who come after us. Somebody did it for you. It is now our time to do it for others. And if you're going to be part of that, then there is a priority that must be settled, fixed in your life fully, finally, and forever. And I pray that would begin for you and for me today, right now, right here. I want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, There's this, this race we're running, this Christian life that we have committed to, is in many ways an individual race, but it is also in many ways a relay. And the only way we're going to really hear well done when we cross that finish line is if we have been faithful to pass this faith along, if we have been willing to pass the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ along, 
If we have been willing to pass the difference you have made in our lives along to those around us and those who come after us. Father, I pray today that we would do some honest, deep, personal, spiritual inventory Because there are some things every one of us this morning need to kiss goodbye. Because they're holding us back from this priority. They're holding us back from becoming another link in that chain of passing this faith along. Help us today, Father, to be the kind of people you've called us to be those who are willing to say no to ourselves that we might say yes to you. To say yes to the hard things. Yes to the costly things. Yes to the sacrificial things that maybe we don't want or we think we don't want. In order that you might take us and use us to make a difference in our church, in our community, in our nation, and among the nations. May this morning we embrace 